This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of I Know That Face, the only podcast which honours the often underappreciated by the masses at work of character actors. I'm Stephen Portia. My name's Andrew Carroll. However, today we are taking a break from our format to discuss found footage horror movies. Ooh. And Andrew, can you give the uh, viewer... It's just a home movie. <laughs> can you give us a rundown of the subgenre's history? Yeah. Found footage is a cinematic technique that presents some or all of a fiction narrative as if it is footage discovered after those who originally recorded died, disappeared or otherwise missing. It is mostly regarded as a subgenre or medium of horror cinema, but has popped up in comedies like Project X sci-fi films like Chronicle, or crime dramas like End of Watch or Zero Day. Zero Day is really good. Great, great Don't partner with Gus, Gus Van Sant's Elephant. It's about a school shooting, but oh, like okay. from the diary, the video diaries of the of the shooters. Jesus. Uh, yeah, it's pretty intense. Yeah. Very good movie, though. It has its origin in epistolary novels. I think I'm getting that right. Made up of newspaper reports and journal entries like Dracula or The Call of Cthulhu. But most agree that in horror cinema, found footage began with the films The McPherson Tape, a.k.a. Alien Abduction, and Cannibal Holocaust. The medium really took off with the Blair Witch Project in 1999, which, along with making back its initial budget a hundred times over, also convinced many audiences that what they were seeing was real. From there, many famous filmmakers, including Werner Herzog and George A. Romero, got in on the act. Studios took notice of the cheap cost, high return model, but outside of massive successes like Paranormal Activity, Cloverfield and Unfriended Dark Web, much of what was produced encompassed lackluster sequels or cheap hack jobs. Outside of the studio system, Extreme Horror found a home and found footage with the August Underground trilogy, Megan is Missing and the Poughkeepsie takes giving the nascent genre of torture porn a run for its money. As always, the rest of the world took the ball and ran with it, producing hits like Troll Hunter in Norway, Noroi in Japan, Wreck in Spain, Lake Mungo in Australia, The Medium in Thailand and Incan- this year's Incantation in Taiwan. As always, many games took inspiration from photo footage such as the, La- the Outlast series, Resident Evil 7 and of course, Blair Witch. The found footage medium has evolved into horror's youngest, brightest star with its cost-effective model, frightening intimacy and effective immediacy that, when used right, can deliver great scares, dark themes and compelling stories. Very good, very good. I, I feel like I've learned more. I, there was stuff that I didn't know about the found footage. Yeah, you don't need to listen to the rest of the podcast yeah, now. See you, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Um, yeah, basically, I suggested that it might be interesting once in a while to take a break from character actors and maybe delve more into a subgenre of movie or movies from a certain country or the career of an underrated director. And you said you were interested in doing some sort of project about found footage horror movies, so we thought with Halloween on the horizon, why don't we do it on the pod now? Mm. Um I also think it's quite an interesting topic for our show to do an episode on because, you know, found footage movies often cast unknown actors in order to create the impression that the viewer is watching real life events unfold on screen. And um, so we wouldn't get a chance to talk in depth about a lot of them, mm. you know, because we discuss yeah. character actors. Um, the only actors I can think of we might cover on the pod who are in found footage horror movies are Catherine Hahn. He's in The Visit, the M.I. Yeah, movie. Yeah. And my boy, and your favorite actor and filmmaker, I know for a fact, uh, Mark Duplass. Uh, of course. Uh, yeah, yeah. Creep my two. Fav- God, that fucker. <laughs> His yeah. brother Jay doing great work in um, industry at the minute. But, I'm um, sure. Yeah. And he, I, th- I love Mark Duplass. Um, yeah, but I think this is a fan footage, um, the fan footage like technique or movement or subgenre, however you want to define it. Is very fascinating in terms of mainstream cinema, I think, because like I would say in general, mainstream movies are mostly made to look a certain way. Like everything's very glossy so that the films are as easy to watch as possible. And I feel like sometimes when a film is released into the mainstream, like into mainstream theaters, that is a bit more experimental in its presentation. 
mainstream audiences can have a bad reaction to it. Like, um, I'm not an expert on film cameras, but I'm thinking of those, like, Michael Mann movies, which were the first to be shot on, like, digital, like, big Mm, movies, like Miami Vice. Or even those um, hyper-clear, like, 48 frames per second or 120 frames per second of, like, the Hobbit trilogy or Gemini Man. Like, when you know, when those were released, there's a certain section of the public that are like, ugh, why does it look weird? Yeah, yeah. Uh, But I'd say fan footage movies look a lot more radically different, too, typical mainstream movies than those examples and yet they seem to have been more embraced and um yeah and i think because like fan footage movies are trying to present themselves as being like discovered recordings made by amateur filmmakers or documentarians they don't have to look as quote-unquote good Mm, you know like the camera can wobble and get thrown around the lighting can be you know darker and less hollywood-esque like the sound doesn't have to be pristine um the actors can be more improvisational because the goal is to mirror what real life looks like yeah and um and aside from like the occasional reports of people getting motion sickness <laughs> watching yeah. um, something like Cloverfield or Blair Witch Project, the fan footage movies have somehow been more commonly accepted in the mainstream um, by studios and alliances. And like, as you mentioned, I think studios like them because they're cheaper, you know, yeah. they can be grimier in their aesthetics, and which I think can lead to them releasing a lot of quite bad fan footage movies. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Because yeah, they yeah. know even if the reviews are terrible, they'll recoup their budget on like, opening weekend. Yeah, yeah. Um, Spend 50,000, make 100,000 back, you know? Yeah, the absolutely. Is simple. Or even know? like something like I watch for this, um, I'm not going to talk about it and all, but like Devil's Jew, mm. which is like a terrible kind of Rosemary's Baby knockoff. The, the only thing that separates it from Rosemary's Baby is that it's a fan footage movie. Never really makes sense how it's a fan footage movie, but like that costs so little to make yeah. and made like I'm sure 20 times over its budget, maybe more, you know? And I think fan f- audiences like fan footage movies too because like, the found footage style deploying those movies is so inextricably linked to their story. Like in the case of the Blair Witch Project, it's like three filmmakers went into the forest to make a documentary and they were never seen again. Mm. This is their story. But also like, I think in the age of like affordable video cameras and more recently, like high quality video cameras on people's phones and YouTube, everyone is already accustomed to that shakier. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Almost yeah. home style recording. I was wondering, do, does it annoy you in found footage movies when, it doesn't really make sense how they're recording it or like who's compiling this or do you get kind of bogged down in that or how they're how they're recording it like how do you mean well i mean like i find that sometimes i'm a bit like why are you still holding the camera buddy (laughs) i'm actually i will actually get into that i think uh, maybe a bit later on but i think there's there's always like a throwaway line about why they're still recording or um or a reason or a reason yeah, yeah yeah but also i find that sometimes i'm a bit like when they start like in these movies like it starts off kind of oftentimes with like one like very ground level and then like more and more like surveillance footage and like yeah, police yeah, footage yeah. and stuff like that I'm like who is compiling all this like what is the point yeah, of yeah. this I think in, it's, within the world of the movie I think it's better when when you've got like stuff like Noroi or The Tunnel where it's like um, oh this was like this is like a mockumentary or something or faux documentary is that it's like produced and produ- like there's a production behind this it's not just like someone yeah, they found the footage, but they've also decided, like, there's more to be added here, you know? Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know what yeah. you mean. I, I just bring it up because, like, I think, like, found footage movies sell themselves as being more authentic, but I'd argue that they are as much as a of a filmmaking conceit as, you know, people just breaking into song and dance in musicals or, like, you know, how characters get trounced around, like, so many times in action movies where are still able to, like, fight proficiently mm-hmm. in the finale. Um, it's never really found footage, obviously. They're just made to look like they are. But, like... Yeah, it's just, it's rare that I, I watch a fan footage movie where I'm not thinking to myself at some point, like, uh, put the camera down so you can run away properly, mm, you yeah. know? Or, like, um, who assembled I, I'm this the, footage? I'm the exact opposite. I'm like, no, keep filming. I want to see more. <laughs> True. Yeah. Suppose, yeah. Show me that Blair Witch. Well, let's go on to the yeah, Blair Witch. Yeah. Uh, do you have the premise? I do. 
In October 1994, three student filmmakers, Heather, Mike and Josh, disappeared in the woods near Burkittsville, Maryland, while shooting a documentary on the legend of the Blair Witch. A year later, their footage was found. I am so, so sorry for everything that has happened. Because in spite of what Mike says now, it is my fault. Because it was my project. And I insisted. I insisted on everything. I insisted that we weren't lost. I insisted that we keep going. I insisted that we walk south. Everything had to be my way. And this is where we've ended up. And it's all because of me that we're here now. Hungry. And cold. And hunted. I love you, Mom. And Dad. I'm so sorry. What a, what a great opening crawl. Like, what a way, what a way really to call good. your shot. Yeah, yeah. Cock, cock the hammer, fire, bam, $250 million. <laughs> I also thought that the just the opening logo of Haxon Films, I was like, <laughs> yeah. that's a pretty great name for a film studio. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah uh, I've seen this movie twice now. I think there's a, 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 a lot that's really, really impressive. About just, and I think just the fact that Daniel Myrick and Eduardo Sanchez, like two filmmakers who hadn't made a feature yet, shot a movie in eight days with only like a 35-page outline of a script yeah, and I think the budget was be- originally for shooting was like between 35 grand and like 60 grand mm. I wound up with one of the most famous horror movies of all time is like the stuff of legend and I think perhaps gave an unfair impression to a generation of aspiring filmmakers that like making it's, a film for this movie was easy. an easy yeah, route to success yeah. when if you read a bit more about in depth about like the process of getting the movie made like it actually sounds exhausting yeah. like you know they spent years developing it and in months editing uh, reported like 20 hours of footage down to like an 80 minute length and apparently like uh, um, a lot more money was spent on the movie after it was shot than before mm. um, but I'd say it, that long development process and effort totally shows in the final project because yeah. like you know obviously there was a lot like on the fly improvisation required by the cast were really good mm. in this and really naturalistic really Heather Donahue's great yeah did you read that IndieWire list of like the best 25 performances in the 90s she's on it she's on it yeah, oh, that's yeah. such a good pick say better Oh yeah, they, they, the last paragraph is like the scariest thing about the Blair Witch Project is that we're entirely in the care and trust of Heather as our guide. Once she loses faith in her expedition, we realize there's no hope for us either. Yeah, yeah. She's a, it's a really great performance, and the character's really well rounded. I heard that yeah. they refer to her as like almost like Captain Ahab. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Yeah. Um, also, your man Joshua Leonard's good, and he still acts because he yeah. he showed up as the he's the bad guy in Unsane, which we watched recently. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I um, think Heather sells weed now. Yeah, but like yeah. medicinal, isn't it? Medicinal, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But yeah, yeah, not drug still, it's, still really, it's still really cool. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it's also like reported that there were like some things that happened during the shooting that weren't intentional. I think they there at one point we're going to show the Blair Witch, and then they didn't actually like capture it. And mm. then I think it's better that you don't see Absolutely, it. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. But um. So there were things that made the overall project better, but I think those elements only really work as as well as they do because there was like solid bones already in place in the pre-planning stages. And like, I just think they show really great judgment in terms of, you know, the vital elements of the story, like how much information to convey about the Blair Witch to make her like a formidable threat, 
while never showing up properly because they didn't have the resources and um, I think because they nailed that balance like the movie story that is essentially about like three people lost in a forest mm. becomes about like three people being messed with by an evil witch in yeah. her terrain and, and who they never see yeah. you know could happen to anyone yeah the, fir- the first part not the, not the second one sure yeah, 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 yeah. every um, time I'm in the woods I'm like fuck Blair Witch it just pops into yeah, your head every time I see like a a rotting log uh, and I'm on like a, a very popular nature trail in like Glendalough I'm like shit I take one, two. St- I take ten steps off this nature trail, and I'm I'm gone. Yeah, I'm yeah. in the wind. <laughs> so you're you're like a huge fan of it. Big fan, yeah. Um, it only really um kind of crystallized my mind after the second week because the first time I watched it, it was during the during lockdown. I was watching this with friends over a laptop video call or whatever, and uh, we're all kind of laughing along. You know, oh, this is so stupid. You know, put the camera down, that kind of thing. And then the second watch uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was like, this movie is just very sad. Mm. It's just really tragic. Yeah, yeah. And um, the conceit of it or the plot conceit of it is like an all just an all time kind of great horror movie set up like from Alien to Blair Witch to um, like the tunnel, which is another fan footage movie that we're going to talk about uh, is that, you know, you put a bunch of people, a group of people who either don't know or don't like each other all that much in a bad situation and just watch the fault lines and cracks appear and just basically watch everything implode, which I think is a great setup for a horror movie. Um, Because, yeah, sure, there's an evil presence stalking them, but would they have made it out of the woods anyway if they're all like this, Mm, you know? Yeah, yeah. But... There is that, like, and, like, slight spoilers, like, I don't think it's, like, it's, like, happens, like, halfway through the movie, but there's a point where Heather loses the map, and mm. you assume that, like, oh, the Blair Witch took it to, like, mm. mess with them, and, like, it, she didn't take it, it was, like, one of the guys, Yeah, you know, yeah. just to, as, like, uh, out of spite. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, which is kind of, like, it hits, like, a hammer blow when yeah, it happens, yeah. Absolutely, you know? yeah, yeah. Uh, just to go on, get on to the point you brought up in the intro, like, one of the major complaints about found footage movies is the question as to, you know, why the characters keep filming and I think there's an invisible point of no return in all horror movies, uh, but in found footage films especially, and sometimes uh, there is one in found footage movies especially, and sometimes even the audience won't notice it. And it can be like a sound, or a throwaway line, or something just on the edge of the frame that we maybe notice or don't. Um, and that's the point where the characters should stop filming and go home. But it's always missed. So Blair Witch would be definitely be, like, the most obvious one is where they lose the map. Um but there's probably stuff before that where it's like, oh, something's not right here. You know, mm-hmm. like it's, um, what is it? It's um, their first night in the tent. And I think it's Mike or Josh is complaining about having slept badly because he he's heard sounds. Mm-hmm. Or it could be Heather. It's one of the three of them anyway. Mm-hmm. And like, that's the point where it's like, pack up, leave, go home, get a, <laughs> get a, get a passing grade on your uh, assignment. <laughs> and so that, yeah, that's the point where the character should stop filming and go home. But it's always missed. Otherwise, you wouldn't have a film. Uh, and by the time they realize how fucked they are, it's all they can do to keep filming and capture some evidence of their doom. And like, there's a point where um, my, one of the guys is like just saying over and over again to Heather as she's like sitting on a log, crying, realizing how how badly things have gone. They're probably not going to make it out of the forest alive. It's like, you want to make movies, Heather? You want to make movies, Heather? You want to make movies, yeah. Heather? And she's just like, it's all I fucking have left. Okay, just please stop. And it's like, it really just hammers home how badly the situation has gone and how tragic it is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's that's kind of like, uh, like there's always like, you re- in bad situations, I think a lot of people reach out for something to cling to. And I think the camera is the thing that, that they cling to in fan footage movies because it's at least, if they don't survive, 
the camera, the tape probably will, so that there's some evidence of what happened to them. Or and that's that's what leads into like the re- the really good um, uh, bit where Heather is talking into the camera and there's like snot. It's a poster. And, yeah, the poster. Yeah, the yeah. snot and dripping down her out of her nose, crying, and it's been parodied, parodied and like, like South Park. And South Park. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So um, I'm so startled. <laughs> um, but it's still really effective. And yeah, yeah. In, when you watch the movie, South Park's the furthest thing from your mind at that point. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Um, no, you're and right. And like, as you mentioned, like this movie is like great in terms of just like the concept. But like, mm. I think having that stuff in the movie that's a little bit meta, where you know, Myrick and Sanchez are like talking about like, this is why you like the camera because it looks slightly different to real life. All that mm. stuff. Like, uh, like they have clearly like taught this true. Yeah. You know, it, yeah. it just displays a little level yeah. of intelligence. I will say, and this might be controversial. I don't know both times I've watched this movie I find it more frustrating than scary I'm more like oh it's, it's so annoying you can't get out of the forest <laughs> you know and I get more I'm like oh then actually I get very like invested in like the frights because it's it's a very it's more of an eerie movie than a very like I don't know jumpy movie there's not like a lot of like frights in it yeah that's true it kind yeah, of is yeah. it kind of is wandering yeah yeah but um and I think also like that might be just me having watched a lot of movies that were inspired by the Blair Witch Project mm-hmm. that are a little bit more yeah. action-packed and also watching it 20 years removed from, like, the gimmick of, like, was it real, mm. you know? Yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I kind of just find... I found the shaky cam and the kind of characters constantly bickering after they become lost goes a little bit repetitive and people go to the bat for the final scene of the movie. I think it's terrifying. And both times I've admittedly found it creepy but maybe a little bit underwhelming as a climax after this long build-up. But is that crazy? I put this on. I gave. I'm an easy grader on Letterboxd. Mm. They call me Stephen Forzio, and I gave the Blair Witch Project three point five, which I, I think is a decent score. I think it's a good mm. score. And like uh, a couple of people in my life came up to me about it, <laughs> and we're like, three point five, really? Yeah. You gave like Escape Room Tournament of Champions three point five, and <laughs> but uh, that's how I feel. That's fair enough. Uh, how you feel is how you feel, Stephen. But um, I think. I don't know. I think there's a magic in not seeing the monster, if you get me. Um, I think Stephen King always said that you're once you reveal what what you've been building up to, half your potential for like fear or dread or disgust is gone. So mm. you've cut out half uh, half of what makes your movie or your book. Um, so appealing to the people that want to read it in terms of horror. Sure. Um, so I think that there's... Uh, I think it was kind of a genius move, really, because uh, the Blair Witch has, like, a legacy of its own as a Blair... as, like, a, a film, film of the universe now because it has the sequels. Um, two sequels, right? Yeah, Book two Shadows sequels, yeah, the, the game. And yeah. I think there's... Like there's one called Blair Witch, isn't there? The movie? Yeah, yeah. The Wingard. The, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. And... As well as being like this, like basically the the high bar for found footage movies, basically, um, at the time anyway. So, yeah, I think that I think not showing the monster or whatever is a good idea. Or it was a good idea. Yeah, I just I, I mean, yeah, it's the end of the movie and you want something, but because like, my one of my favorite horror movies of all time is The Invitation, mm. and I think that movie. What's really great about it is that like it does take really, really, really long, like almost to the very last moment to kind of like let the penny drop mm. as to what's actually happening but then it does give you like a 
terrifying like 10 minute like little sequence and i feel like i, I kind of wanted that in the Blair Witch. Uh, but maybe that's just i don't know i think the, yeah i think there's uh, a lot of factors spoiled, I at guess, play I yeah. um in terms of what you want out of the ending because like sure. if you want the the ending that that's in your head then you need to go back in time and give Sanchez and <laughs> yeah, yeah. the other guy half a million dollars. Sure, yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. And they kind of they uh, paranormal activity, which we'll probably talk about next, mm. was made under a lot of the same conditions as the Blair Witch Project. But they did that with paranormal activity. They yeah, gave them like yeah, a, a yeah. lot of extra money to film like a climax, mm. which I also think is kind of underwhelming in that movie. Yeah, <laughs> me too. Actually, yeah, <laughs> but, um, I think, yeah. Will we move on? We'll move on yeah. to that. But uh, yeah. Blair Witch, uh, like an incredibly influential movie. Yeah, very yeah. influential. Uh, Definitely one of my favorite fan footage movies. Anyway, yeah, I, I just yeah. I I just compare it to the ending of Blair Witch to the ending of Norway the Curse, and you're like, listen, when you're comparing anything to the ending of Norway the Curse, then <laughs> yeah, absolutely, uh, then you're, it's it's. I will say Norway is better than uh, the Blair Witch Project. Sure. It's better than most movies, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, in the history of cinema. In the history of cinema, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah do you have the puffer paranormal TV? I do. Yep. <clears throat> Katie and Micah are a young couple in San Diego. Micah, a stay-at-home day trader, has begun filming their days together in an attempt to put Katie's mind at ease regarding the demonic activity she believes has followed her since she was a child. As the days pass, the paranormal activity increases and puts both Katie and Micah in great danger. You know, I understand that this stuff is new to you and exciting in some ways, so I, mm-hmm. I get your whole filming thing. But it isn't new to me, and... I think this thing could be very dangerous. So I just I just want you to know that as things get things progress or, or get worse in any way, I don't want to mess with the camera stuff anymore. I don't want to make it mad. I understand where you come from. Just remember, too, that you didn't exactly warn me about this kind of stuff before we moved in together. I know. So I think I have a little bit of say in what we do. I get that. But honestly, what was I supposed to say? On our first date, hey, there's a demon that I think... No, but maybe on our 15th date or our 30th date or when we decided to live together, that might have been a good thing to bring up. I think this is an interesting one to compare it to the Blair Witch, as I said, like mm. um, you shot over a couple of days for only a few grand with unknown actors. And as opposed to traditional scripts, they were given um, just the outlines of the story and like situations to improvise. And um, again, post-production was a longer and more expensive process. Yeah. And I think this, like the Blair Witch, which uh, are like things you got to praise about it, um, manages to like successfully nail that vibe that maybe if you showed it to someone who wasn't very cine literate, they might think it's real mm, because yeah. like, the people playing the, the lead couple um, feel like real people rather than actors. Um, the reasons why they're filming their daily lives makes a lot of sense. I will say, based on what I said at the top, I did wonder why whoever in the world of the film is assembling this footage had to include the multiple scenes where Mika, Mika um, the boyfriend, says to Katie, his girlfriend, like, why don't we do it on camera? <laughs> and she says, oh, come on, Mika. <laughs> like, there's like three or yeah. four scenes of that. Like, I, think, I feel like maybe the person that compiled the footage is the same as the audience for the film and that they don't really like Mika all that much. But that is true and I, I actually you know fair play to the movie in that like yeah. he, he um he is really awful <laughs> yeah he's movie. not a villain by any means but, but he's he, definitely he's he a uncaring kind of boyfriend like who, who and he doesn't really um I would say he's uncaring what's I the just... word I think he's kind of reminds me of the uh, Jack Rayner character in Midsommar yeah I would I wouldn't say he's uncaring I just I think he cares in the wrong way maybe yeah or thinks and thinks he's doing the right thing but um I think he's very he's a bit dismissive of her at first and then he's like oh I can solve the situation because I'm a man yeah. and obviously doesn't go great <laughs> yeah that's that's actually one of the things I like about it yeah film. me too yeah. I think it is a kind of a lot less active in its presentation than Blair Witch and it's, it's it feels a lot more stilted and boring because of that 
This this is controversial. I think this might be a little bit better than the Blair Witch Project. Jesus Christ, Stephen. I know. I, I think they both have similar strengths and weaknesses. I feel like each of them take a beat too long to get going and have slightly underwhelming conclusions. I think Paranormal Activity beats Blair Witch in terms of scares. Like I believe there's like at least three genuinely bone-chilling scenes in Paranormal Activity that give it that edge. In fairness, the Ouija board scene is great. I wasn't even counting the Ouija board. The Ouija board scene is really good. Mm. I was thinking the bit where, you know, like, obviously, as you mentioned, Katie's been, she's been haunted by something evil throughout her whole life. And I might have been behind this um, fire that happened um, at mm. her childhood home. And she thinks that this presence is um, the cause of strange occurrences now happening in their new home. So, you know, Mika buys a camera and starts to document the weird happenings. And part of this involves, like, leaving a camera filming on a tripod overlooking their bed while he and Katie sleep. And in one scene, we witness Katie in a trance get out of bed and stand menacingly over Mika mm. while he sleeps for what we come to realize is hours on end without moving. Like, I think that's genuinely very chilling. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't I don't necessarily agree with that one. I think it's that bit is fine. What about the bit where, um, where she stands over him? They realize that the uh, whatever has been haunting their home was in their attic. And they, they climb up to the attic and the only thing they find is a Polaroid photo of Katie's a little girl that has its edges burnt. And when he shows it to her, she's like, that's impossible. Like, that photo was burnt in the fire when I was a kid. How could it be possibly there? It's like, spooky. <laughs> it is spooky, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. I just don't think the actors are on the same level. That's a good... That's no fair. offense to Micah and Katie. Yeah. Who use their real names for this. That's true. I hope you don't <laughs> listen uh, into this. Yeah, I just... I, uh, I thought Katie was good. I think, yeah, I think she. I think they're both good in um, in their roles, but I just don't sympathise with those roles as much as I do with Heather, Mike, and Josh in the Blair Witch Project. Yeah, you know? no, that's fair. Yeah, yeah. Um, like I think uh, I understand the characters of the Blair Witch Project a lot more than I would Micah, who is, as I said, a stay-at-home day trader, who's like. <laughs> he's like Katie is a student I think she's a graduate student of some yeah time. she wants to be a teacher yeah wants yeah. to be a teacher and Micah is like obviously like wealthy enough to own this or own or at least rent this very nice house in San Diego to stay at home for his job play some very nice guitars um, and I you know that's not my life so I, I suppose find it I think harder that, to relate to him I think that they're both very canny depictions of a certain type of people and I just think us us two would be more closer aligned to the people in the Blair Witch yeah absolutely or we yeah. know more people like that I suppose yeah yeah yeah, yeah that's um, what I mean I just as I mentioned like I don't I think that they're very comparable and I think yeah, obviously Blair Witch will work more for a certain type of horror audience mm. but I just I thought for scare for scare kind of like, I thought the paranormal activity had a bit of an edge maybe you're right yeah yeah, yeah. Um, although they don't find a uh, tongue in um, Paranormal Activity. So Blair Witch has that going for it. That's true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that seems yeah. very scary. Mm. Yeah, just before we wrap up those two movies, I just think it's good to say that um, I do think, you know, Blair Witch and Paranormal Activity, like the first ones anyway, both of them showed that this found footage gimmick coupled with a story that can sustain the technique and, you know, have a few mm. good scares, it could be a recipe for critical and commercial success and like the Blair Witch Project and the first Paranormal TV are two of the most profitable movies of all time in terms of how much they cost to make yeah. versus how much they made at the box yeah. office. I watched uh, Paranormal Activity Next of Kin as well. The Amish one? Yeah. Can Any good? Yeah, it's pretty decent. Oh, yeah? Okay. Yeah, well, I figured it was. It wouldn't be too bad. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. too bad. Um, it's, got enough, it's got enough interesting things going for it. That's what, exactly the reason I watched it. Um, yeah, I should confess, I, while I am a fan of the femme footage subgenre and have seen a lot of movies that fall into it, I was too young to watch the first Paranormal Activity when so it was came I. out. Yeah. And by the time I did get into horror movies, its various sequels were getting bad reviews by critics so who were, you know, slamming them as like diminishing returns. So I never checked out any of them until prepping for this. 
Um, so I've only seen the first Paranormal Activity and Next of Kin, and um, which is the seventh in the franchise. And I want to check it out for a couple of reasons. Um, soft reboot for the franchise, so easy entry point. Yeah. Um, tells its own story. Um, I thought the premise sounded interesting and was written by Christopher Landon, who worked on a lot of the Paranormal Activities, but also um, directed the Happy Death Day movies, <laughs> uh, which are kind of a blast. And um, it's directed by William Eubank, who made that cool sci-fi movie, The Signal, and also Underwater, which you talked yeah. about in your um, in the Vince Cassell episode yeah. with Christian Stewart, that movie. And um, I thought they might make a cool balance because I think of Landon as being more comedic and Eubank as being a bit more like clinical and spectacle focused, you know? Yeah. And, um, yeah, plot centers on this young woman named Margot who was abandoned by her biological mother as a baby. Later in life, uh, Margot learns that her mom was part of a secluded Amish community, and as such, she travels to the community snowy farm with a few documentary film crew friends seeking answers, and yeah, things uh, take a dark turn. Paranormal activity ensues. <laughs> Paranormal activity ensues. All right, whenever you're ready. We are shooting a documentary because I am about to meet my first biological relative. <laughs> She's Amish. I'm not. I am not Amish. We are humbled and grateful to have our sister Margot return to us. <laughs> I've always hoped that I could meet you all, so this is a really special moment for me. Hey, mind if I film you for a moment? Uh, oh, hey. Oh hey uh, I like your doll. What's her name? Sarah. You know, that was my mom's name. She used to live here a long time ago. She's still here. Yeah, like, and so in 1999 when Blair Witch Project came out, and even in 2007 when Paranormal Activity was released, you accepted the lower quality of filmmaking because, like, it added to the gimmick that the footage being presented was shot by amateur filmmakers with limited resources and it made the movies good yeah like that low-fi quality um but i think next of kin which came out only last year i should say is interesting in that like it may be high it's that we won't have fan footage movies set in contemporary times going forward with that low-grade look of say a blair witch again and this is because of the proliferation of so many types of like pretty high quality consumer cameras which sort of makes it believable that a few youngsters like Margot and her friends could make a pretty handsome looking movie. Mm. And, you know, compared to the first Paranormal Activity, Mexican is very dynamic looking in terms of its shooting style. There's like traditional digital cameras, GoPros, drone photography, um, all cut together. And it looks very nice. Errol Morris will be doing the next. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. What did they get? Um, Joe, Joe Berlinger did the second um, Blair Witch movie, who's like a very acclaimed documentarian who does all those Netflix documentaries now. Like, oh, yeah. He, Confessions I'm, with a Killer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you did the Zac Efron Ted Bundy movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, yeah. No, but aside from that, like just um, talking generally about fan footage movies, I, the movie is pretty solid. Um, I will say, watching a bunch of these fan footage horror movies back to back, you do notice how many of them have the same blueprint, which is like people go to make a documentary about something and supernatural stuff and mm-hmm. paranormal activity ensues. Um, the Taking of Deborah Logan, which I watched for this, or I won't talk about, it, but it's pretty good. Um, is like that. The Medium, which we'll talk about later, is mm-hmm. like that. Um, Norway the Curse is like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Incantation um, is like that. <laughs> um, They're all just like that. They are. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And it's not even well, except for Cloverfield. That's, that's true. the only exception. That's the only the exception. one exception out of hundreds of fan footage and movies. And it's very good. And it's very good. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, but in the, the cast on this is uh, quite naturalistic. Um, I thought the actress Emily Bader, who played Margot, was easy to root for. Um, Margot's eccentric soundman Dale in the movie is very funny. He's this comedian named Dan Lippard, and the character seems like he's been pulled out of Happy Death Day, but also has like a foot in reality. I thought it was mm. pretty good. Um, snowy scenery, very pretty. Um, I love a snowy movie, mm-hmm. as you know. There's some decent twists too, and. 
I think this seems to be the trademark of William Eubank, the director, based on the work I've seen, but the movie has this like effectively tense build-up before culminating in a kind of gonzo finale that feels satisfying as a conclusion, but also opens up more narrative possibilities. Um, so yeah, overall, I was, I was into it. I was surprised by the level of negative reviews it got, but mm. it could just be down to fatigue with this franchise, which uh, I don't have because I only watched two of them. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. yeah, I can't wait to check it out and not watch any of the middle ones. Yeah, and apparently... Or maybe check it out and then watch the others. I think they're doing a new one now, but that it's more connected to the the story, like the... The return of Micah. Mike. Mike. <laughs> yeah, Mike. <laughs> Mike is back, baby. Um, no, uh, I think it's more to the Katie story or the okay. demon that's haunting Katie. Yeah. As you heard in the intro, this show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, Ireland's largest network of independent podcasts. There's plenty of other great shows to check out on the network. Here's a taster of one. Silicon Republic is a great place to read about science and technology from writers like us. And now you can hear what we really think on For Tech's Sake, a co-production from Silicon Republic and the Headstuff Podcast Network. I'm Elaine Burke. And I'm Jenny Darmody. And together we've been writing about tech for a long time. We've never fallen into the trap of being tech evangelists, but we don't necessarily want to demonise tech with scaremongering clickbait either. Now we mostly take a side-eye view of tech and definitely throw a bit of shade when it's deserved. So if you want to hear us take a look under the hood of both emerging and everyday tech to examine the good parts, the bad parts and everything in between, check out For Tech's Sake on the Headstuff Podcast Network. Tune in and your new robot overlords will thank you for it. I know that fates are also delighted to finally get to tell listeners about Headstuff Plus. Headstuff Plus is the one-stop shop for everything on the Headstuff Podcast Network, Ireland's largest podcast network and the one to which I Know That Face belongs. If you're a fan of I Know That Face or any other shows on the network, become a member of Headstuff Plus and get bonus episodes of Headstuff Shows, other exclusive content, merchandise, early access to live events and lots more. We here at I Know That Face have already recorded a handful of bonus episodes where myself and Andrew talk about more current news and releases in the world of film and TV. But also in the future, we have plans for more actor-themed series as well, along with releasing episode outtakes, accompanying articles, etc. All for Headstuff Plus subscribers. To sign up to Headstuff Plus, it's just €5 plus fat per month. When you sign up, no matter what show or shows you are supporting, you still get access to everything. All the bonus material for all the podcasts on the network. A lot of great podcasts. Plus, by doing so, you'll be supporting I Know The Face to bring you more top material. For all the details and to sign up, visit headstuffpodcasts.com. And now, back to the show. You watched the tunnel for this, right? I did, yeah. Yep. In 2007, a plan to solve Sydney's water shortage by turning its old subway system into a water treatment plant is revealed to the media. When nothing comes of the plan, a local news crew investigates the century-old system and find that they are not alone in the dark tunnels beneath the city. plan from the start was, when we got to the tunnels was to get to the lake, because that's where the story was. Okay, through here. Through there? Yeah, it's a bit tight down there, Tubby. You reckon you're going to make it? Directly below one of Sydney's busiest train stations is the forgotten water resource that's causing all the controversy. Yeah, nothing stood out to start off with. It was quite normal. Hey, Tangles. How did yeah. Something wrong with the light. There's something stuck on it. <laughs> Shit! How did I not see that coming? <laughs> I was starting to feel there was something not quite right. Bell out, Moss. So this is one that kind of, uh, this is a movie that drops the pretense of what follows is real footage. 
which is a bold move considering that's usually found footage is stock and trade because um, it, it, it has like opening credits and everything uh, it feels like something you'd stumble on far past the watershed and like discovery or unexplained mysteries you know something that's on between like 11 p.m and 1 a.m um and it'd like either leave you very shaken as a kid or young teenager or feel like a bleary dream as an adult mm. um it all and it's clear that very very clear that it's inspired the first segment of VHS 94 Hail Ratma oh that's that's good that's so great yeah <laughs> so imagine that kind of vibe but like yeah, yeah. if the monster uh, I, I do wish the monster in the tunnel was clearer hmm. like you could barely see it Um, and when you do it's like is that a man in rags or fur is it Ratma is it Ratma yeah <laughs> um, yeah it's a real triple threat of a story with like political cover ups um local intrigue and a love triangle between um the lead journalist uh her her producer pete and her cameraman i think his name is it's either steve or john one of those kind of basic australian names um yeah all right all right john um which is a lot to cram into a 90 minute found footage movie especially considering how the threads are often dropped when the characters often always meet a horrifyingly violent end but with that said, the film did make me realize something and that like we always consider our cities to be like living kind of breathing organisms, you know, crammed full of people, you know, everything. If everything doesn't work as it's intended to, they are like full of life. Um, whereas like the like the urban spaces, the majority of us live in these days often seem so populated and crammed that the ideas of like vast areas of empty space within or beneath them is like really alien and frightening and like just antithetical to the, to the concept of a city yeah, yeah. so um yeah that that's that's maybe the scariest part of this is that there's just empty space in a place where there really shouldn't be mm. you know and dublin has it as well you know we've got tons of derelict buildings all around the city um uh, but that's a housing issue that's a that's for our, our housing pod- podcast i know that place um <laughs> <laughs> and it, it for all that uh, for all the fact that it's set in like really claustrophobic tunnels um that are all rusted and like dripping water and there's an underground lake um it's quite a nice looking movie and all the, this kind of rot and rust and desolation and um the sound man is a um in the in the movie um his character's name is tangles because uh, either because of he deals with wires a lot and they're always getting tangled up, That's or because name. he has kind of like shoulder length kind of curly hair, uh, which I th- always which I thought was a really charming character detail that kind of adds a lot to both the film and the character, especially considering he's the first one to exit it, mm. um, in horrifyingly violent fashion, I might add. And another thing that this film made me realize when I was thinking about it is um, there's kind of like an odd trend. In found footage movies where an ambitious woman is kind of punished for reaching too high, too fast and too far. Blair Witch. Yeah, Blair Witch. Mm. Um, not necessarily the medium, but... Uh, yeah, no, it's not, not quite the issue. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, there is... A, Maybe uh, like, Incantation yeah. a little bit. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure there are like lots of similar films where it's the fault of the man like paranormal activity maybe sure yeah, um, yeah. but it says a lot that the most popular of these kinds of films either on a level of mass appeal such as Blair Paranormal Activity or Blair Witch um, feature women as the quote unquote villain or on the other much more extreme end of the scale acts uh, of the most extreme violence against women many of them young like the August Underground Trilogy or Megan is Missing which I will clarify I haven't seen but are meant to be like really 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 fucked up 
Yeah, I read a um, plot description for one of the August Underground ones. Mm. Don't read that. That's that's yeah. It's like unpleasant. vile. Yeah, yeah, it's like it's, um, unpleasant is too kind of word. Mm. It's, it's awful. <laughs> really <laughs> like it, yeah. yeah, shock value cinema. Yeah, and I use the word value with uh, a heavy caveat there. But what did strike me about the about watching a lot of like Western found footage movies, I would usually like go further afield um, with. Uh, with them is that none of them ever had the look to be as pivotal or game changing as the Blair Witch Project like Paranormal Activity had a lot of success but um, it didn't not even it achieved what the Blair Witch Project did if you can in terms it. of like um, just in terms of like well maybe it's because Blair Witch, Blair, the Blair Witch Project is like the one sure yeah yeah. Uh, it's like everything kind of pales in its shadow yeah yeah, yeah. Um, but then if you go like further afield it's like oh the people are doing some like Either just because it's like culture shock, it's like people are doing some really interesting stuff. Not necessarily with the tunnel in Australia, but Lake Mungo is like a really good way of showing just how like sadly horrifying you can make a film. Do you want to talk about that since it's another Australian one, right? Uh, yeah, sure. I don't have any notes on it, but I'll do my best. Um, yeah. I saw it like a year ago and um, basically uh, I can't remember any of the characters' names either. Yeah, um, sure. But um the eldest daughter of, a, of an Australian family drowns in she's pulled from the water and like a few days later and like most drowned people doesn't look that great you know um, which is an important po- point of the film um, that I won't spoil any further um, and her younger brother um, starts to think he's seeing her ghost around the house and so he starts putting cameras around the place in the garden in the hall and they uh, basically it, the film takes the form of a documentary about the family um much like the tunnel um they're like there's a psychic brought in and it's revealed gradually that the girl the eldest daughter was you know into some into some bad stuff sort of like a i guess kind of a twin peaks vibe if you're oh, if you're willing okay. to stretch yeah, yeah. Sure. have you seen it uh, no, never no, seen. Okay. I would like to, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, sort of like Cheryl. Charlie is the actress. Laura Palmer. Laura in Palmer. Peaks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, kind of like a girl who got in too deep to some things, and but in Lake Mungo, it's kind of like it's not her fault, basically. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Uh, whereas you know, Laura Palmer did you know infiltrate a, a, a brothel <laughs> um, <laughs> um, of her own relatively free will. I think I've only seen the first season, yeah. <laughs> um, and. Yeah, it's like a very a very sorrowful kind of movie about how people deal with grief, basically. Um, there's a point where her younger brother is revealed to be faking some of the photos that he's recorded or some of the footage he's recorded. And um, like, it's just about how secrets just kind of secrets that are kept by someone who's no longer with us can like fester and you know, turn people against each other within families or out without without of families. And like the there's it's just it's terrifying in a really sad way. And I I can exp- I could explain it, but it's it's I know what you mean. much worth where you'll be more rewarded if you seek it out for yourself. Yeah, I've just yeah. I've uh, the what's kind of been putting me off watching it is that I've heard people be like, it's so devastating. <laughs> yeah, it's oh yeah, like I I did consider watching it for this, but then I was so like saddened by the Blair Witch Project that uh like I considered watching both of them in the same night just because they're both quite short. Yeah, and then I was like, oh no. You know, I watched the Medium and Norway the Curse in the same night. Jesus Christ! Why would you do that to yourself? It was great. Isn't, isn't the Medium's like two and a half hours? Isn't yeah. It? yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> um. 
Yeah, but that, I was a, it was a wonderful night, though, I'll say that. Mm. Um, will we, I can imagine. Will we get on to the Asian horrors? Because yeah, I, let's I, do it. I, yeah. I watched three for this. The thing is, I would have watched, like, Mungo, but um, I had, like, 10 or 12. I wanted to kind of capture the classics of, like, Paranormal Activity, Blair Witch, and then also I had, like, 10 fan footage movies on my watch list I wanted to, like, tick off, mm. so I used this. Um, one of them was Incantation. Um, do you have a pop for that? I do, yeah. So... Lee Ronan, or it could be Lee Ronan. Uh, I think we'll alternate between pronunciations <laughs> as this goes on. Yeah. Um, Lee Ronan. It was funny. Just sounds like an Irish when man. Her, yeah, when, yeah her, when they kept being like Ronan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so Lee Ronan, a Taiwanese woman, receives custody of her daughter Dodo. Really cute name. After a long period named of... Named after a dead bird. Yeah, named after a dead bird. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, what, I Dodo. Watched this, I watched yeah. this with a friend and they just couldn't get over that. Yeah, yeah. It's like, what a cruel act on her yeah. kid. Uh, so Lee Ronan, a Taiwanese woman... Um, receives custody of her daughter, Dodo, after a long period of mental instability and recovery. Strange occurrences begin almost immediately, with Dodo complaining of a strange presence and beginning to develop a mysterious illness. Ronan realises that all of this is tied to her days as a student filmmaker, investigating an evil deity known only as Mother Buddha. Yeah, I watched three Asian horrors in preparation for this episode. As I said, Incantation, which is Taiwanese, mm-hmm. um, I thought was the lesser of the three, but still very strong. And I, I, I think serves as proof that a lot of Asian horrors and thrillers are better than your your mainstream American ones. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. I was, yeah, I suppose I'd agree. Yeah, and if you're talking, I presume it's like Noroi, the medium and the incantation yes, for you. Yeah, I would yeah, agree. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, um, I was wondering, though, I was trying to sum up what makes them better. And I, I, like, would you agree with this? That that like comparing the, the Asian fan footage horror movies I watched for this with all the other ones I've seen in my life. I thought that the Asian ones featured more visceral and terrifying supernatural threats that were all based in very dense mythologies. And it's kind of the richness of the mythologies that make the threats so hard to pin down and vanquish. Absolutely. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the scares are more full on, but you also have these very compelling lengthy scenes where the lead characters investigate what's haunting them. Um, I also thought all three experimented in cool ways with the fan footage form, like Incantation takes place in two timelines. Yeah, and it juxtaposes how its lead character, Lee Ronan, became cursed with her efforts to lift the curse. Um, I'd never seen that before in a fan footage movie, and I think it just about worked in the context of it in terms of like the question of who's assembling this footage. I think the movie explains that well enough. Mm, you know? yeah. um, there's also this interactive element to Incantation, which I thought was very yeah, cool, yeah, that's where true. the audience yeah. is encouraged to, um, by the lead character to deliver a chant and make a specific hand gesture at certain points in the movie, which has a great payoff. It does, yeah. I can't remember what the chant was, though. I, I, I can't really remember like what the chant was. I, I remember the hand yeah. gesture. Yeah, the hand, kind of, the like fucking, that thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, because they have one in Noroi as well. It was like, ka, ka, ta, ba. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I thought that was very unique. And I also think in the case of, at least in Incantation and the Medium, there was a lot more attention paid to the human drama than you'd see in American movies. Like, mm. I was really rooting for Lee Ronan and her efforts to reconnect with her estranged six year old daughter, Dodo, while also trying to protect her from the curse. And I also thought the character of Ming, who is the manager of the foster care home where Dodo lives, who helps Lee Ronan, was a character who revealed himself to have a lot more depth than you might expect at the beginning of the movie. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there's that there's the point in the movie where, like, everything turns on his decision. Yeah, absolutely. And he, uh, it's, it's like the one bright, bright little, the last bright spark in the movie you see before everything just fucking plunges into darkness absolutely yeah yeah um were there any scares in particular that stood to you in incantation they thought were really effective i mean without spoiling everything uh, anything uh, all the honeycomb stuff nasty shit <laughs> <laughs> all the bits of people levitating just the entire village sequence i think was yeah. really effective 
I thought the bit in the car with Ming and Lee where they're driving in a straight line but keep somehow going around in circles mm. was reminding me of In the Mouth of Madness, the John Carpenter movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's also that show from, is it basically that new horror show that's on TV now? Is basically like that's the premise of the show. Oh, okay. Um, I haven't heard of that one yet. Oh, that's pretty good. Um, I also, just the whole finale leading up to kind of the reveal of um, a statue's face, I thought was just like. Yeah. Nightmare. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it, like it pays off. Like mm. it's what, what's on the face, scary looking. Yeah. Um, yeah, anything else about incantation that you really liked, or um, just that uh, anyone with uh, trypophobia or trypophobia, which is like a fear of sort of holes very close together, like honeycomb or something like that, mm. should avoid this film at all costs. Um, but anyone with uh, a good appreciation for digital effects should run to it. There's a whole YouTube four episode behind the scenes thing they did of it. Oh, wow, and usually yeah. I'm against like. Not, I'm not against special features or anything or behind the scenes stuff. Uh, but you don't I do, want to I do like magic. to. I don't want yeah. to ruin the magic. But this actually, I found this added to it. I think, especially yeah. where there's a shot where, and it's really quite brief, where like the camera like tilts into a tunnel and then tilts back out, and there's all all these really long hands are reaching out of the walls and ceiling, and how they did that is, I think, uh, it's probably nothing to a digital effects artist, but I found it quite um, fascinating. Dan can definitely check that mm-hmm. out. Can I talk with the medium just briefly? I'll, Go, I'll yeah. hit you know, fly through medium and ignore the curse. Um, you had this in your top five of last year, right? Yeah. A ballsy cool pick by Andrew Carroll. I, like, no. <laughs> I haven't rewatched really it in fairness, but uh, it'll t- it would t- take some serious. Um, I still, I'm still in recovery from the medium yeah. is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, it's from Thailand. It starts off as a very compelling faux documentary about the life of a female shaman named Nim, uh, which frankly, if it had just stayed that way, Probably would have still watched it and yeah, enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, I found all that fascinating. Um, but proceedings do take a dark turn when Nim's uh, niece, Mink, becomes possessed. Um, I will say there was a le- funny letterbox review where someone was like, take a drink every time they say Mink. Yeah. Because <laughs> they're like, Mink. 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 Um, the medium, yeah, it's just like elegant slow burn of a horror movie that I think thoughtfully probes serious universal issues like family bonds and faith while gradually just like twisting the knife into mm, its characters yeah. um, before eventually leading to this um, shocking and violent climax and a hauntingly, deeply emotional final scene that recontextualizes a lot of what happened in the movie before. Mm. Um, I never had any idea where it was going. Um, I thought it was very scary and thrilling. Um, I hugely recommend it. And I should point out that the medium uh, is written by the South Korean filmmaker Na Hong Jin, Mm. who directed The Chaser and The Wailing. And it feels like a companion piece in a way to The Waning, which Absolutely, is a, yeah. another movie about shamans and an investigation into the supernatural that mutates over the course of its running time, a long running time. Um, so if you like The Waning, which we uh, might be talking about soon on yeah, this uh, podcast, enough, yeah. um, check it out. That's a little hint for what's yeah. to come. Um, so I'd recommend that. That's on Shudder. Also on Shudder is Noroi the Curse, the best of the three Asian fan footage movies I watch. And frankly, my new personal favorite fan footage movie Um and I checked it out my co-host recommendation. So thank you, my man. You're welcome. Um, I, 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 I preach and I preach Noroi to anyone that'll listen. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, on the outside the GPO. Yeah. Noroi. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Irish um, men and Irish women. <laughs> Shudders um, has a free seven day trial. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's this Japanese movie. And at the beginning of it, we are told that a journalist named Kobayashi who reports on um, supernatural occurrences is missing after a fire happened in his home that killed his wife. Most of the movie that then follows is a faux documentary assembled from footage that Kobayashi shot or gathered during his investigations in the run-up to the fire. And prior to the fire, he was investigating multiple separate cases. Um, one was about a family that kept hearing crying babies coming from their neighbor's house. Another was about a child who seemed to exhibit strong psychic abilities that went missing. A third was about a, fa- a famous actress who felt she was being haunted after a strange um, experience shooting a show near a shrine. 
But over the course of the movie, you begin to realize that all these events are connected through a sort of rising evil that maybe is the work of a demon or is maybe ectoplasmic worms. Mm. Um, I think what's amazing about Nora... Greatest Kurt, red herring in all of cinema. <laughs> ectoplasmic worms. <laughs> um, I think what's amazing about this movie is that it's a very ambitious Russian doll narrative um, with all these like interconnected subplots. Mm. Enables it to basically deliver like immediate scares after immediate scares while also having this like underlying paranoia just like running through a bubbling of the surface mm. of like, where is this going? How is this all connected? Um, just as a mechanism for provoking fear and dread in the viewer, it's kind of perfect. And what's even more incredible about it is like it sticks to landing. Like I think it's ending with it spoiling man just to wrap up all its major plot lines in a terrifying but narratively satisfying way. While also in some respects retaining the kind of enigmatic quality that gave the movie a lot of its power mm. and also makes me want to rewatch it. Yeah, you know, absolutely, um, yeah. To try to get more of a handle on it. And um, would you permit me to quoting an article you wrote, Andrew, about Asian horror and Nori the Curse for Head stuff? I probably have the same quote, but go ahead. I'll let you um, say it. What do, my own what do dead pigeons, a flooded village, an illegal abortion clinic, and a possessed actress have in common? The answer is not what you think, but it is far worse than you can ever imagine. And the mystery resolves itself in a single brief shot. I'll never shake. Was that what your quote? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I had the, la- the last of it as well. <laughs> um, no, I think that, that shot is burned into my brain i'll <laughs> never forget it i watched it with my lights on i was yeah. so scared <laughs> front room. so did i i think yeah um, yeah. But, uh, no I, re- I really um i think it's a tremendous piece of work it really is fascinating stuff yeah, yeah. um yeah i, I really really want to uh, watch the rest of that guy's stuff koji shiraishi i think his name is or koji shirashi yeah it's it's a kind of hard to find though i think it's a yeah. lot of that stuff is very hard to track down because I, I i i loved cure mm. Kiyoshi Kurosawa's one Kiyoshi yeah, yeah. Kurosawa's one and like obviously Pulse which I haven't seen is like a big one for him too and I think yeah. Creepy is on a few screen service another yeah. movie of his but a lot of that stuff is very hard to find here yeah um, well I, it's hard to be a completist yeah Eureka have the the three uh, the, those three on, yeah. in their Masters of Cinema series or whatever as well as Tokyo Sonata his drama um, oh, nice. but um, yeah it is very hard to be a completist when it comes to like especially Japanese cinema mm, yeah. sure sure um, we pick our uh, top five Femfoot Charm movies do you have a top five list I don't but I can make one up off the top of my head <laughs> alright will I go with my top five first yeah, yeah. okay uh, my number five is uh, The Borderlands this is a British one which I haven't heard many people talk about but I remember really digging um, I would have rewatched it for this but uh, it got lost in the shuffle of you know trying to get the touchdowns of the genre and trying to check out new fan footage flicks I hadn't seen like The Medium and The Wailing or Nori the Chris it's about these um, three people sent from the Vatican to investigate reports of supernatural activity in a recently opened 13th century church in the British countryside. It's got a hysterical performance from Robin Hill, who's like a frequent Ben Wheatley collaborator. He's the lead in Down Terrace. He's the guy who um, Michael Smiley says, hook it up, bitch. To. <laughs> <laughs> hook it up, bitch. Um, he's, he's like plays this like sarky tech expert in the Borderlands. But like all these movies, it starts off fairly light before building to this incredibly intense claustrophobic final act that has never really left me in a similar way to Nora the Curse really like it um, number four The Visit as I mentioned I'm saving this for our eventual Catherine Hahn episode but um, I love this flick from M. Night Shyamalan um, it's kind of now commonly seen as his return to form after a few critical flops it's about a young brother and sister invited to stay for a week with their strange grandparents and when they get to the house things get very weird it's kind of Shyamalan doing a contemporary Grimm's fairy tale it's very scary at times while also containing a fair bit of dark humour um, three, the medium for reasons I mentioned mm-hmm. previously. Um, two, Cloverfield. Um, this was the first fan footage blockbuster and the first fan footage movie I saw, so it has a special place in my heart. It's not officially a Godzilla movie, but it is America's best Godzilla movie. <laughs> and I think applying the fan footage shaky ground level style to a movie about a massive monster destroying New York City was really smart. 
and um it's just filled with nightmare imagery that has never really left my head and um number one nor the curse for yeah, course, obvious reasons because yeah. it's the best yeah um number five for me is hell house llc oh a yeah. fun fun house uh, found footage movie literally about a, a horror fun house uh, involving demons killer clowns a cult um and a cursed house that uh, this group of filmmakers and kind of people that set up a f- fun house every halloween i guess um open and uh, things go really 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 wrong <laughs> <laughs> number four blair witch project for reasons already discussed three lake mungo uh for very devastatingly sad reasons already discussed um there's a line in lake mungo where it's like um it's said by the girl before she died she's like I can tell something is coming towards me but I've no idea what it is and I can tell it's bad I think I'm paraphrasing here that sounds very like, Twin Peaks yeah it would break your heart yeah. um, that when it um, pops up in the film and like Mungo watch till the end credits I won't say what watch till after the credits roll won't say why do it You'll never regret it. Nick It'll Fury burn shows. itself into your into your eyes. Sorry, Nick Fury shows up. Nick Fury shows up. Yeah, yeah. I'm putting a t- I'm putting together a team. Cloverfield monster. <laughs> um, the kid from Norway. Anyway, um, number two, the medium. Yeah, yeah. Just for that climax alone, man. Yeah, yeah. I really didn't think it would go that hard. No, no. I, I thought they might have actually. Yeah, I won't spoil it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, number one, Norway the Curse. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful list. Yeah. Um, I feel like people are going to be annoyed that we didn't mention some of like Wreck or Wreck Two. Um, I watched Wreck recently, and I it's not that I, was, I, I liked Im- them. It's not that I wasn't impressed, but I don't know. Uh, it just I guess it just it just, there's just better ones out there, you know. Yeah. I yeah. think Diary of the Dead is solid too. Um, all the VHS movies apart from Three are pretty good. Mm. There's a new one coming out soon, so more fan footage on the horizon. Woo! Woo! Hail um, Ratma! Hail Ratma! Also, like. Oh, do we consider like the unfriended movies and host found footage movies or are they computer screen movies? Because I would shout out host as being great. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't seen any of them, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. So I won't know. I wouldn't know. Yeah, well, but they're we... definitely, there could be a subgenre of found footage movie, I guess. True, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's just there's subgenres yeah, within yeah. subgenres. We're through the looking glass here, people. Rate, <laughs> um, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. Uh, if you have a friend who's reading into the movies, why not recommend them our show? Email I know the face at gmail.com if you'd like to reach out to us. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, if you love I Know The Face, please consider donating five euro a month to us through Hedsel Plus. We can find a few special exclusive bonus episodes, a few in our um, leading legend series, uh, focusing on A-listers like Kristen Stewart, Brad Pitt, Jodie Foster, Denzel Washington. Um, Andrew, where can people find more of your work? You can find me at the Headstuff Gaming section where we talk about what we play, why we play, and how we play it, as well as at fortnightfrights.wordpress.com where I run a blog discussing the best, or, well, not best, not necessarily best, and most influential horror film of every year every two weeks uh, starting with 1920 we're up to 1927 by the time this episode comes out Which, Cat and the Canary great I'm going to check that yeah. out um, yeah follow me on Letterboxd I'm either Steam Ports here or Portsville you can also check me out Joe.ie serious and fuzz bye bye This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.